0: Hi, this is Steve Hargadon and welcome to the Future of Education. It's Wednesday, the 25th of April, and our guest is Richie Norton, the author of a new ebook called Resumes Are Dead. Welcome, Richie.
1: Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Actually, really delighted to have you here. I uh, can't wait to talk about this. Uh, The Future of Education is a Web 2.0 Labs project. Thanks to Blackboard Collaborate for providing this hosted room. It is the fifth anniversary of Classroom 2.0. We're up to almost 67,000 members. Really a blast. If you haven't been there lately, please come see some of the fun things we've got going, including a book project, uh, the deadline for which was this past Saturday, and I think (laughs) 130 submissions for chapters. It's unbelievable. It's going to be really fun. If you wanted to submit and you forgot, send me a nice little email and we'll see what we can do. Uh, It is going to be, every chapter is going to be presented online and we're going to pick the most popular ones based on downloads to put in a published book. Also, uh, we have our incubator project, PBS NewsHour uh, as our first customer for that. Lots of fun helping them figure out how to help educate us with their resources. If you're going to the ISTE show, it's at the end of June in San Diego, we do encourage you to go to ISTE Unplug to see all of the crowdsourced activities we have there. Um, starting with the All Day Unconference on Saturday, which typically gets two to 300 people, it used to be called a Blogger Con. We've now rebranded it as Social Ed Con. Um, so many good things that happen as a part of ISTE, including the Bloggers Cafe, ISTE Live, where anybody can, can present, even if you haven't been accepted to present, sort of our salon de refusé. Um, we're going to hold a three-hour global education summit as well. Anyway, more information at ISTEUnplugged.com, and many thanks to ISTI for their supporting the crowd. The Social Learning Summit was this past Saturday. We had 73 presentations. Uh, they're all recorded up at sociallearningsummit.com or go to classroom20.com and click on the Social Learning Summit page. Uh, we had 4,000 participant logins. We think that represents about 1,000 actual attendees sponsored by Discovery Educators. They were thrilled with it. We believe it's going to become an annual event. It was really a blast. We looked at social media, and Web 2.0 in education. The Future of Libraries conference is scheduled for October 3 through 5, thanks to the sponsorship of San Jose State University. A great conference, um, really a blast, worth worth finding out about library20.com. And the Global Education Conference, our five day flagship, incredible virtual event, November 12th to 16th. And thanks to IRON, who are now our founding sponsors of that event. Uh, We do have two conferences, virtual conferences I keep teasing about. Don't have dates yet, but the gaming and education conference, which is coming up, and an alternative education conference, which should be a lot of fun as well. Coming up on the future of education, next week, Larry Johnson comes to talk to us about the Horizon Report. I think it's the first time Larry's been on the show. and really looking forward to that. Uh, Buffy Hamilton and Kristen Fonticaro are talking about school libraries. Mark Bauerlein comes back to talk about the digital divide. Um, John Edelson about learning in ePortfolios. We have a future museums session coming up, which should be fun. Anyway, lots coming up, lots more on the horizon, so please do join us. If you've missed any of the sessions, they are all recorded in full Illuminate versions and an MP3. Julie Lindsay and Vicki Davis talked to us about their unbelievable book, Flattening Classrooms. Unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, you've got to get it. It's the Encyclopedia of Web 2.0 and Global Connections for Students. I was blown away. John Hunter and Chris Farina talked to us about World Peace and the Fourth Grade Achievements. John Hunter is one of my new heroes. Really an amazing session worth listening to. Tracy Wyland-Argenti talked about Society 3.0. Mark Tucker talked about the top-scoring countries for the PISA exam and what we could learn if we did some industrial benchmarking. Jennifer Fox talked to us about strength-based learning all kinds of fun things at futureofeducation.com. Okay, so this is what let me give you a chance to let us know where you're participating from. I've got to give you permissions here. Look to the left of the whiteboard. Look for the star icon. It's the second one down. Double click on it. Click on the map. I see tweets going on, so I know our audience is going to grow. Hard to do this at the beginning of the show, but Certainly, we know that Alan is in Croatia. And I'm going to introduce Alan in just a second. But feel free to put in the chat time, temperature. I keep seeing these tweets. Our boy, Richie. I think your wife tweeted, Richie, didn't she?
1: She did. She's a good woman. (laughs) She's awesome. (laughs) She
0: must be listening.
1: (laughs) That's right. She actually, uh, I'm at my home right now, and so she actually got the um, the kids out running around the park right now so I could do this without you having to hear a bunch of screaming kids in the background.
0: Oh, we don't mind screaming kids, but thank her for <laughs> All us.
1: All right, will do.
0: <laughs> so wherever you're participating from, or if you are listening to the recording, we are sure appreciative of your time. Uh, I- I have really been looking forward to this, Richie, and it comes in uh, kind of a tradition for us. Um, we've had Dan Shawbell on who talked about Me 2.0. We've had David Wood on who talked about getting paid for who you are. And then we had Carl Speak on who talked about uh, Be Your Own Brand. And what we're really doing is sort of navigating a couple of different waterways here. One is educators' careers, and the other is this is students learning. So uh, um, I just loved resumes are dead and I hope you're getting similar feedback from others, are you?
1: Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, it's been unexpected and it's been a lot, a lot of good feedback. Not just in people saying, oh, yeah, good job, Richie Pat on the back, but but that's actually getting results. People are finding more confidence. Are getting jobs I didn't think they could get. Uh, It's it's been really rewarding for me, but also for those who are actually putting into into practice.
0: So some of this is going to be personal for me. And I'm going to apologize for that in advance. Because in many ways, my role in education follows a lot of the content from uh, Resumes Are Dead. Um, And I do love the theme that we've had in the show of trying to help both students to understand and participate in this new world, but also recognizing that teachers have to be participants as well to be able to teach that. Uh, We've done a little, we've got kind of a new thing going. Some of you know I've been consulting for Gina Bianchini, co-founder of Ning, on her new project called Mighty Bell. And I want to show you, we've actually created a uh, Mighty Bell space for this session and you should be seeing now um, on your screen the Mighty Bell space. And and what Mighty Bell is, it's a place for content, aggregation, curation, and conversation. So you can load into a Mighty Bell space uh, a website link or a video embed or photo or a file and then you can um, move those around or feature them and each item that you add into the space can be commented on. So uh, Alan is uh, in the room. He's in Croatia. I don't know what time it is, Alan. Maybe tell us in the chat. But he has offered if you put your email address into the chat, he will send an invite to you from this space. And we want to encourage you to go in. And you can see there are a number of videos here that are from, uh, that are embedded in the electronic version of the book that you can watch directly in this space, plus as well some other ones I put in here. If I see if I can scroll down. I put in here links to my previous interviews with Dan Shawlbell, David Wood, and Carl Speak. So you can also access those in that site. So feel free to put your email address in there. Alan, who is just an incredible uh, Blackboard Collaborate volunteer, uh, in in now a couple of conferences, uh, has offered to do that. So we'll thank him for it, and I'm going to switch us back out of here. Okay, so um, it feels to me like there's a bigger story here embedded in some practical advice, Richie. You're saying the resume will get you the interview but not the job. You have this catchy phrase in one of your videos, there's a better way than a resume. But it feels like this is even, this is about more than even just the resume, right?
1: Yeah, it, it really is. I I, uh, I had a lot of people, a lot of friends coming to me asking me about some of the work I was doing and and how I was able to do certain projects. And a lot of people were were going out trying to find a job and they weren't able to get it because they were passing out resumes. And I realized it wasn't about even getting a job. It was really about what do I want to do with my life? Who do I want to be? How am I going to become this person? How can I find a balance between both money and meaning? Because if we only got one shot at this life, why am I going to waste it, you know, basically in a, in a cubicle? But a lot of people are finding themselves stuck in that position and they can't find a way out or they can't even find a way after college to get to where they want to be in any career, whether it's a dream job or even a, a lower level ranking job.
0: So well, certainly uh, those of us who grew up in a much more sort of conforming environment um, recognize that that message is different, and sort of the first question that comes to mind is, okay, yeah, there's room at the top because few are willing to pay the price, but can we actually create a model where everybody does this? Is that realistic?
1: That's, that's a really good point. You're referring to, in, in the book where I went uh, to New York, and I went up to the Empire State Building, at my first time there. I didn't realize, I thought you'd just get in the elevator and go to the top. It actually surprised me that you actually had to pay money to, to go and see what was up there. So I, I went and just like any event or any place like Disneyland or something, there's a long line. And you have options of what kind of package you want to buy. And I saw that for $15 more, you wouldn't just go to the floor, the main floor where everyone goes, but you'd go to the 102nd floor, which is $15 more. And I traveled all the way from Hawaii to New York and I thought, well, I might as well pay $15 to get there. Uh, Why not? What was interesting is you go to the main floor and there, there's just a million people. Literally, it was so crowded that I couldn't even uh, move around without touching someone. Physically, you couldn't walk from point A to point B without touching somebody with your shoulders. And, you know, it was cool. You could see the sights, except for you had to lift your camera up really high to see what was going on. And then I thought, okay, this is cool. I wonder what it's like at the top floor. It must be even more crowded. But as I went up, and I got there, it, it, was, it was a smaller space, but there was very few people there. And there was a lot more room. Even though it was smaller of a space, there was a lot more room for me to breathe and walk around. And everybody had the opportunity to go to that top level. It just cost $15 more. So to, to answer your question, is yeah, there's room at the top, but can everybody be there? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. But the option to go there is there for everyone. The problem is not everyone chooses the path to go to that next level, either because they don't know about it or because they don't want to take the time to make it happen.
0: I'm laughing because in our educational technology world, say five years ago, there were very few people at that top level. Now it feels like there are many, many more that the community has really kind of engendered this capability of individuals uh, working on things they passionately care about and are interested in. And it feels a little bit crowded now, such that I feel like I'm even having trouble following the people I care about. Um, I'm not sure there's any answer to this, but, but how do we envision a world in which everybody is pursuing individual unique passions and it becomes really hard to follow what everybody's doing?
1: Well, that, that's an interesting question. I think it's only fair, first of all, that everyone gets a chance to try and and live their dreams and do what they really want to do. As far as following everyone who's trying to do that, that's probably not possible. Um, but, But if we look at who you want to become and who you want to be, it's absolutely possible because not everyone has the same dreams or the same wishes or the same desires and there's not one path to get there. The thing is, though, those that do seem to pop out are doing something different. Then I
0: guess, the crowd, so to speak. Well, we'll leave that one as a conundrum. But I, I, lo- I absolutely appreciate the sentiment. I feel the same way. It meshes very well with a lot of the conversations we have about um, the value in every child, especially in education, the value of each person's contribution. Um, you talk about. The difference between fishing and hunting, and I actually felt that was pretty brilliant. I don't. I hope it's original to you, or if it's not, that you can take some amount of credit for it. But how do you teach someone to move from being a fisher to being a hunter?
1: Um, that's that's a really good question, and the the idea of the, the fisher, the hunter, as a re, you know, as relative to getting a job, is this. Uh, let's bring it back to the resume. I don't want to necessarily be the resume guy. It's just that. Whenever someone's trying to move towards their dream job, they think that what people want is a resume. And so it's like going uh, fishing. Where I'm gonna go out to a lake where I think that all of the, the best or biggest fish are, and I'm gonna put my resume, so to speak, on a line and I'm gonna throw it out there, and I'm gonna hope that one of those fish bite. That's fishing. And so we see that right now. People are going on to a Career Builder or Monster, or they're just finding as many emails as possible and blasting out a resume. Some of them aren't tailored, some of them are, but nonetheless people are sending out, I mean I know people are sending out literally over a thousand resumes and still not getting any callbacks or, or even an email back. It's, it's ridiculous. And so you're trying, you think that if you put the worm, the resume out there in the lake that you're going to get at least a bite. But now, as we talked about the crowd, everybody's doing that. And so what we find is that there's so many hooks or <laughs> worms or resumes out there it's not about resume getting you a job. It's about a resume and filtering you out. You know how they say that, that you you know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover? Well that's what a resume is. People are judging you by a cover. And they're judging you not in a positive way. They're doing it in more is there anything on this that that would say I can get rid of this person because I have to get through a pile of you know ten more, a hundred more, a thousand more before I can find the golden child. So people are out there fishing and not getting results. And so what I'm saying is you should go out there and hunt, which is totally different, a totally new – not necessarily new as if it hadn't been done before, but new to you if you haven't done it yet – is to go and actually decide the specific company you want to work with, find out exactly who works there, make friends with them on LinkedIn, Uh, on Facebook, on Twitter if possible, or at least someone in the company, and you actually go after them as if you were hunting uh, an animal. Now, some people on the call might not like hunting animals, so let's not, don't, don't, don't get stuck on that. But the idea is you know where it lives, you know what it smells like, you know what it likes, and you target this company strategically. So instead of hoping they just come and, you know, bite the hook, you are actually saying, no, you are mine, and you want me, and you didn't even know that you wanted me, and I'm here because I'm in your face. And if you do that naturally, organically, authentically, strategically, it will work a hundred times better than putting a resume out to people you've never even heard of or met before.
0: We're going to get to some pretty specific advice you have in this regard, and this is something I personally really believe in. I probably would have introduced it differently because the education world uses a different language, but it is also primarily about finding what you're passionate about and then looking for ways to start doing that even before somebody gives you the external approval or hires you for a job, right?
1: That's right. we're not talking about waiting for something to happen, we're talking about being proactive and starting now, whatever position you're in. So when I was in college, um, a lot of my friends, and I'm not going to compare myself to, to others who got a job or didn't get a job, i was going to tell you a little bit about my story. So when I was in college, I saw that there was a need to help, internet there's a lot of international students at my school. And part of the mission of the school is to help them go back to their home countries and become leaders and uh, help the economy. That was the reason they went um, to this, this college in the first place. So a lot of them though weren't going back to their countries and doing the things that they intended to do. And I, I was serving as student body president and I got to find out from the administration a little bit about how this was a challenge to the school because now some of these countries didn't want to even send students to their school because they thought it was part of you know, servicing the, the, the brain drain. And so I thought, man, this is a major problem. not Some students, they weren't even giving visas to leave the country to come to the school. That's how bad it was. So I thought, man, there's got to be a better way to help them uh, go, go back if they want to. You know. And so as I talked to the international students, they said, it's not that we don't want to go back. It's just that there's not any opportunities there. And so I said, well, if there's not an opportunity, or at least we don't think there's an opportunity, maybe we can create an opportunity through entrepreneurship. So I started a little business to help students go back to their home country and actually start a business. I created a little fund um, where they could build a business and fulfill their dreams of going home and, and increasing um, the leadership and, and improving the economy where they're from. And it started really small, but it ended up turning into uh, eventually a center for entrepreneurship at my school. And then and I'm not, I'm not taking credit for that. I'm just saying that these kind of things happened. And also, without me even trying or wanting or doing it intentionally, it created job opportunities for me. I had people coming to me asking me to be, uh, at first, an employee of these different companies and later then a consultant to different companies and I thought, wow, if I hadn't started doing or at least implementing these ideas while I was still in college, would I have ever had these employment opportunities after college? So I think it's essential that people actually start way before they're even planning on getting a job. Like if you're going to graduate tomorrow, it's probably too late for you to get your ideal job. You should have started getting, trying for it or doing something, getting to know someone, doing a project um, in alignment with getting a job with that company. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't give a timeline on it, whether it's years, year, six months, three months, it could be different time amounts. But the idea is you need to prepare to leave <laughs> the school to then get a job, not just go out and go, hey, I got a degree, now I can get a job. It, does, it just doesn't work that way today.
0: So there's a lot here, and, and there are going to be people who listen to this recording who are in existing jobs who are going to be mapping this against their own experiences. Um, I think what's interesting to me is the degree to which the Internet has provided the opportunity to, to follow a passion project without getting paid. And those who've listened and regularly have heard me tell the story of my skin condition, which is vitiligo, the Michael Jackson Skin Disorder. And I run a network for people with vitiligo that's free. I don't get compensated for it. It's now the world's largest network for people with vitiligo, but it's a passion project and something I love doing. Um, and, and the Internet has made that a, made that possible. But there's a part of that story you didn't tell, which is there's some failure along the way there, right?
1: Oh, th- yeah, there sure is. So why? I first wrote a, a business plan for the School of Business. They were having a business plan competition. And I wrote it, and I thought it was great. And I, I said, hey, it's going to help the school. It's going to help students go back to their home country. I thought it was just seriously the easiest business plan to win ever because it was it fit perfectly with the mission of the school. Uh, but they came back to me, and they said, you know what? <laughs> the devil's in the details, Richie. And I didn't even, there's, there was different levels of the business plan where you get to turn in the paper, and then you get to go and present it, and then there's another level of presenting. Well, I didn't even get past, you know, turning in the paper. They, they failed me right then. And, but I was so, as you call it a passion project, I was so passionate about it, I thought, I don't need them to tell me whether it was good enough or not. I know it's a good idea. I, I know it's in need. And I'm going to do it anyway. And the interesting thing was, some of the the companies we started, they did okay, and some of them didn't do do well at all, but one thing led to another. And so, when you're talking about, we can't just talk about college students because uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners aren't college students. I I work with people that are trying to do career changes that are, you know, all ages in the spectrum, and also people that are just trying to move up or do something on the side. And I think what it comes down to really is is a project. Um, you can call it a passion project, you can call it an entrepreneurial project, you can call it a personal project, whatever it is. the projects are cool because they can fail. Projects are cool because they can be small and they can turn into something bigger. So if, if I'm stuck in a job that I don't want to be in or if I want to move up the ladder or if I want to do something different, then what I would do is I would say, OK, where do I want to be? And I would say, can I do a smaller micro-project that is similar to what I want to do eventually, you know, in the future? And I would try to involve people that I would want to work with on a, on a deeper level in the future in this smaller project. So like, let's say I wanted to work for, what, I'm not going to say a company because they're all different, but let's just say I wanted to work for company A. I would find out what their mission statement is what they're interested in, what the people there are interested in, and do a, a micro project that I can involve them in. Hey, would you mind sponsoring this project that I'm doing? Hey, would you mind um, at least putting your name on this, or can I do this for your company? And then they get to know me. Let me give you a real example. I, I, there's someone that, that, I, that I've worked with who wanted to get a job at a certain company, and he decided, it was a graphic design company, he decided to put together a little book. And he did this little book, and the people at the company somehow got a hold of the book. So when he walked into the company for an interview to get a job, there were people around him as he walked in the room kind of whispering, hey, there's the guy that wrote that book. Now, how much more likely is he to be able to get the job than someone who is walking in for the first time with, with a resume? You know? So I, I think doing small projects, even if they fail, can lead from something small to something bigger to, to where you want to really be in life.
0: I'm thinking about how important this is, go ahead, Rich and Judy thank you. I'm thinking about how important this is uh, in part because it, uh, if we want to help communicate to students their capability of doing this and working on things they care about, then we have to have mentors, teachers, adults who are familiar enough with the process to encourage them and to have them do it. And you know, certainly the advice I give people is start an interview series, right, Um, or start a a social network. Um, But even in my own family it's kind of intriguing to me that um, I'll say I'm doing something and my kids or my wife will say, well are you getting paid for that? And I'll say no, but I do it because I care about it and it will lead to opening certain doors. This seems to me it's a pretty common pushback that you have to get paid for everything you do. Do you, do you encounter that? <laughs>
1: that's, that's funny. It, it, it's true because people think they have to do things for pay. And the opposite of doing things for pay when you're, basically, let's say, when you're stuck is, well, if they're not going to pay me, then I'm going to do nothing <laughs> until they pay me. And then it becomes a vicious downward spiraling Uh, you know, cycle where if they're not going to pay me, I'm not going to do anything. But in the real world, you know, it it works exactly the opposite. If I'm an employer, do I want to hire the guy who's been sitting on the couch, you know, surfing the internet or or TV doing nothing versus maybe the guy sitting at home, (laughs) you know, surfing the internet doing something? You know, we want to work with people who are moving. You know, they say that the magic is when you're in motion and uh, it's really true. I have found throughout my career that doing things for free turns into things that are paid. And if you, you can do it, um, you can think I'm going to do this so I can get paid, but that doesn't necessarily mean you will get paid. I've actually found that doing things I'm interested in turned into paying opportunities that I didn't realize would come my way. Because by starting them, I got noticed. I, I, people said, hey, he's doing that. I'm interested. Let's, let's work together. Look at case in point. I wrote this Resumes are Dead book, and I gave it away for free. You found it somehow, and now we're doing this interview and have this connection. Th- that was totally, I'm not getting paid to be on this interview, but I don't know what will come of it. It's just, it's just fun to do. It's great to do. Doing things for free, I have found, eventually turns into greater opportunities.
0: Yes, and to be transparent and kind of fair about it, if your business is coaching or consulting, this is a pretty good strategy. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty smart one.
1: That's true. That's true. It, it can work differently for different companies. Now, if I'm going to bring it back, if there are teachers who are listening to this, I was going to bring it back to a student and they're trying to, say, get a job after, after their school, whatever level they're in. Um, I, would, I would say we, we've heard of the service learning projects and I think that those kinds of things are, are really important. There's only so much that you can fit in your mind that you're going to be able to remember after you leave. And what I've found over time is that the things I remember most are the things that were emotionally charged, uh, things that I actually had my, my hands on. Like I took a psychology class and they said if you take a kid to the zoo and the, and the, the kid loses you know her her toy or something on the on the train. When you leave the zoo, the kid's only going to remember <laughs> losing the toy on the train. She's not going to remember any of the animals. And I think that, in my experience, also in school, things that are going to help people in the job environment later are things they do that are emotionally charged. I think there needs to be more heart, uh, not just mind, in the learning. And I think the heart comes from Allowing students to do these personal projects, um, it could be, it could let's say it's a history class, and the kid's interested in horses. Well, the kid could do um, a project around horses, and a part of the project would be the history of horses in Mongolia or you know somewhere in the world, somewhere where it's related both to the teacher and the classroom, and both apl- and also applicable to the student in his or her life. And even better, if it's applicable to a job opportunity that they would like to see themselves in, in the future. It could be just amazing if they can attach heart to the learning, do something hands-on, and then bring that with them later to the market.
0: Well, I think this touches on some deeper beliefs we have, deeper cultural beliefs. Um, and that is, can you actually find both money and meaning in your life? That's the phrase you use in the book. Um, do you think that we have to convince people that that's possible?
1: So do we, have to con- do we have to convince people that it's possible to have both money and meaning? You don't have to convince anybody who is making money doing something that's meaningful to them that it's possible. They already know. Anybody who's not um, earning income doing something meaningful, uh, yeah, of course, we, they have to be, mm, I guess you could use the word convinced. I would like to say maybe inspired by saying, hey, it's out there, it's possible, and here's some steps to do it, but people need to get a taste of it. They need to to do something on a smaller level, I think, to get a taste of it and kind of catch the bug so they can move up the chain to doing what they really want to do. Now, if you fall on your face, you can't say, oh, it doesn't work. (laughs) I'm going to go back to doing what I don't want to do. And here's the thing, you do have to pay the bills. So I'm not saying ever quit your job just so you can go pursue um, a lofty dream. What I am saying is don't let your dreams die because you think you're stuck. I, I would hate for someone at the end of their life to say, hey, I was stuck my whole life, it's too bad, kids, I, I hope you can do something better. I mean, that's a, that's a conversation. I, I did financial um, uh, consulting, and that was a conversation that grandparents were having with their kids and their grandkids. Hey, it didn't work that well for me, but hey, I want to teach you everything I can so that you can do better. But why wait till your grandparent to have that conversation? <laughs> why not do it right now? It is possible, but you do have to take a little bit of risk to be able to to do it. Some smart risk, but I, I think it's possible to be able to earn a living doing something that you love.
0: The phrase I've used for this is, is go, give, get. You know, I think you said the same thing, get, get in motion, get started. Find a place where you can really add authentic value and the getting will come. You'll figure it out. But intriguingly, the giving part changes the equation of what you care about getting. Do you find that? Uh, sometimes people are saying, I care so much about what I'm doing that I'm not as concerned about being the richest guy like I used to be, that, they, that they're willing to shift their lifestyle to match their passion.
1: I, I think that's happening and I think it's happening more and more and more, especially as people are getting a taste of um, the, the freedom of you know, revenue sources that are happening uh, because of technology. And the internet. I think some people are actually being almost forced to have to do something that is meaningful to them, to make money, because it's so hard in some places and in some industries to get a job. And yes, I think if you do a Google search for for terms uh, of people that are leaving the job place for lesser paid to do something that they care about I think he said happening over and over and over I was working with a man in his uh, his 40s making tons of money uh, tons of money uh, working for um, a financial institution and he said I'm over this I'm, I'm done I am so done and yeah okay it's easy to say he had the money and so he could stop and go do something else but it was the psychology of it it wasn't I want this money. I need more money." It was, I need to do something else. And even people that don't necessarily have all the money in the world, I think we're finding, are are opting for other types of careers. I I, I follow what's kind of been happening in in colleges. And you'll see that a lot of colleges, again, you could do a Google search for it, are doing more social entrepreneurial type programs. And the reason is because people are trying to tie both money and meaning together, both the social aspect, of I want to change the world, with, well, I know I need to change the world, but I also kind of pay the bills and and changing my family's world financially is a good thing too. So people are finding more and more ways to do what they really want to do and make money at the same time. And I think more than ever before, probably, I'm just assuming, I don't really have any facts here, but probably in the history of the world, there are more and more opportunities because of technology to do what you really want to do um, and make money at it.
0: So I'm, I'm reminded of a quote from one of your videos where you quote your son who said, money doesn't matter, it's people that matter. And my guess is that, that that's some of what people are discovering.
1: Yeah, we went okay, on if you a- look at the
0: skill sets here.
1: Oh, it's, it's OK. I got off. I got off.
0: You're good. Yeah. You can watch the video and you'll hear the story. Um, So if we look at the skill sets here of thinking about the skill sets that we would want to help uh, bring to our students, Um, are the skill sets the same for working in a corporation and working in a small business and being an entrepreneur? It's, uh, It's felt to me like part of the brilliance of what you were talking about was that these skills could actually help you in all three.
1: Right. Of course, if if I'm going to be a doctor or a farmer or a lawyer, those are all going to take specific different, you know, skills. Um, But I think that the thing that unites us all in education would be the character development. I'm talking about hard work, honesty, and more important now than ever, innovation. And I think that people should definitely look towards doing things that, well, I guess what your question was then, is in the book, you know, what are the things that people can do really to, to have the skills to necessary to do what they really want to do? Is that, is that the right question? Am I understanding that right?
0: I'll kind of answer the question. You tell me if I'm right. It felt like the willingness to pursue projects before getting paid, to find things that you really care about, to invite people of influence in, that these particular activities could help you land that corporate job, could also help you be part of a small business, and could help you be an entrepreneur. That they're not necessarily only for entrepreneurship, right?
1: Right. That, that's exactly right. So the, the idea is, is, if you want to start a project that is in alignment with what you want to do, kind of like how we talked earlier. So, it is. Whether you want to be uh, a better employee, whether you want to start your own job, whether you want to start your own company, these things are definitely universal. The idea is to inspire 100% confidence in the people that you eventually want to work with. And the idea is to sort of forget the future, like people say, hey, I'm going to do something later." And I'm saying, don't do something later. If you already have it in your mind that you want to do something, you should do it right now. Don't wait. And I say, then you need to go out and you need to add what I call congruent value, where you go and you look for whatever it is you're trying to do, and make your value add congruent with the value that they need. That's a universal principle. I use also, obviously, the example of uh, Tom's shoes how how he was able to do the money meaning thing where he saw kids in need who need shoes and then said, hey, I can make money doing this and he does one for one, where you buy a Tom's shoe, he'll give another shoe to someone else. So he was able to inspire confidence in the marketplace with these great shoes. He was able to forget the future about, I'm gonna help someone later, I'm gonna do it right now. And he added congruent value by saying, hey, they need shoes, I'm gonna make shoes and we're gonna sell shoes. And then you can go out and I say, you need to, just replace the word marketing. Don't think you have to go market yourself. I say you should replace the word marketing with the word you know, service. You should go serve. Service marketing. Because through serving you get to meet those wonderful people, uh, either who you're serving or those who are also serving along with you, to that they'll get to know you and you'll be able to find ways to work with them in greater capacities in the future. And once you once you've gotten your foot in the door that way, and let's say you're working with someone, you're able to lead those who you're working with because they've seen that you're able to do things. Even if they're your boss, they like that you have this initiative and so you're able to work through this process and do exactly whatever you want to do. Did, did that make sense or is that did I cover too many things too fast?
0: I think you covered three of your seven points, but we'll kind of suss them out a little here so that we can separate them out, no, it all made sense. Um, we had uh, Carl Speak on the show who talked about your personal brand being how you help others and that really spoke to educators in a good way. And and you're making an equation between the word marketing and serving and, and there's even a quote in the book uh, from Drucker where you say take the word marketing out and putting serving others in and we'll leave it to people to find that. Um, uh, I want to go through the seven points, but before I do so, uh, I wanted to ask you quickly. Your wife has her own website. Um, my children have their websites to varying degrees, some specifically related to work, and others just personal. But it is living in public, and for many people this generates fear. How do you help people overcome the fear of that being public?
1: Well, I guess it depends on, again, what your goals are. I mean, do, do you have to make your life public? No, of, of course you don't. Uh, but if you do want to make your life public and, well, let, let me back up a little bit. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, some of your life is already public. I mean, you just do a little search on the internet and you're going to find out a lot about anybody. So we got to know when it comes to personal branding, as you brought up, that you need to manage your personal branding specifically because if you are already public and you will become more and more public if your name's ever mentioned in anything, in business or whatever, uh, it's important that if someone's searching for your name, I-, I think it's important that you have the ability to at least have some say <laughs> in what comes up for your name. And so it does become important to become have at least part of your life be public, whether it be professional or personal or both. So i say to overcome the fear of, you know, letting your life be be public, I'd have to say, you know, what are you scared of? Are you scared that there's going to be somebody that comes to your house and, and, and hurts you? I mean, is that the fear? Um, if it is, it, I mean, you can already find people's addresses and phone numbers online with one search, you know, so you just got to think, what am I scared of? And then think, is that really going to happen? Um, and, and go through it. Uh, again, I would say if you're scared of <laughs> making yourself public online, first of all, you're already online. Second of all, what is it exactly that you're scared of? And then breaking that down into reality. And if it is a real reality that something you really do need to be scared of, well then, don't do that part of your, make that part of your public image not public if, if possible. Th- does that answer your question?
0: I think it starts to, and it's a it's an interesting topic, and we're seeing some comments in the chat. You know, I think part of it is a fear that if you say something, it will never go away. I think another part of it is a fear of making a mistake um, or revealing a part of yourself when you're used to kind of um, having tighter control. But I do find that there is a, Angela Myers calls it a habitude, that a habitude of courage to kind of put yourself out there that really makes a difference. And, and I think that comes through in your material.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I did try to make people have um, a little more courage in, in what they're trying to do. And you know, you're, the listeners are right, you know, what if I what if I make a mistake? What if I do say something online? And so you do need to be intentional about what you're writing online. You do need to be mindful about what you're doing. For example, I use Facebook and I love it, but I don't put things on Facebook that I wouldn't want other people to see. Right? Uh, I have it, my, my my Facebook is public. I don't make it private. Um, I don't think I even do those little circles where you choose who's really your friend and who's not your friend. Because I think even if I did share something with just my friends on Facebook, I think it would get out some way. If I have something private that I want to share with people, maybe like my family, it may be through an email, which can easily be forwarded, but it's better than putting it on the you know, open internet or I do it on a phone call or in person. And so I think you need to be selective about what goes online. But you do need to put, in my opinion, stuff about yourself online that is good and telling, especially as it relates to uh, building a career.
0: I want to talk about your seven points and then uh, kind of the, the putting it all together, but we'll have to go through them fairly quickly. So the first was Inspire confidence, what your boss will hate to hear, but you secretly love. Say to your boss, hey, I'm going to perform exceptionally for you, but you have to let me have a soul, and you, you, know, you have to let me work for both money and meaning. Um, and, and, and I loved that, but the question was, there are going to be times when you, when you fail, right? And uh, so how, you know, how does your relationship with your employer work when you say, hey, I wasn't able to actually accomplish what we hoped we would?
1: <laughs> okay, so, so we're saying that you do go in there with 100% confidence, um, but you fail. Is that, is that right? Well, well then I would say you do have to go. If you fail, you do need to go hat in hand and you need to, they say, there's a proverb, I think I'm not sure what exactly who said it, but it's, you know, if you're going to bow, bow low. And so if you do fail, you do, you should bow, you should bow low and say, hey, we messed up, how are we going to improve this in the future? However, if you do succeed, it's going to be amazing. And so what I would say is you want to set the expectations to a level that you can perform on those expectations. Don't say you're going to do something you can't do. You need to do what you say and say what you do. And, uh, and, and then, it will, then it will work. That's, that's kind of the idea.
0: Absolutely agree with that. Sometimes though, a project just doesn't actually perform the way you wanted it to, and it seems to me that you know a lot of what we're learning from the internet is the value in iteration and kind of starting, trying again, trying again to get it right. So it does feel as though you probably want to be pretty upfront about the potential for success for anything you do.
1: Definitely. I mean, if you're if you're doing something that's that's semi risky, uh, which it sounds like we're talking about right now, at least the risk of failure, you do want to say now hey, here's a project I'm going to do, and it's in alignment with with what you want, big boss. Um, Let's work on it together. And then you need to set expectations, like I said, okay, we're going to try and do this, this, this. And then say, look, it might not work. It might fail. And then you can have a plan B. I mean, why not have a plan B when you start? say, If we fail in this area, here's what we're going to do instead. And then you guys can work together as a team, if that's possible in your organization, and be able to work through failure with, additional insight on changing, maneuvering as you're going through the process.
0: Okay, so we've talked about forgetting the future. Um, Your third point is add congruent value, and I'm really interested here because you basically say don't have a hidden agenda to build your resume, you know, work on things that you really care about and, uh, and there's a guy named Cal Newport who wrote a book called um, I'm forgetting the name of it but anybody, if anybody remembers they can put it in the chat but it talks about relaxed superstars and how they ended up getting to college so um, finding the ability to work on the things that are congruent and that really are of value um, Sometimes you're not going to get support from the people around you. Do you have advice as to how to proceed when, when people close to you don't see that?
1: Sure. So you want to do a project or you want to do something, you have a dream, you have an idea, but your family or friends aren't aren't supporting you. You, you do have to, again, they don't want you to do that because they love you. You know, they're, they're scared. So if it's something that's going to hurt you, um, they don't want anything to happen to hurt you. The problem is, Sometimes the, the, the rose colored glasses are, are so thick that they can't see it. This could be your hugest opportunity. So you'd you need to say, okay, it, it depends on the relationship. Like if you really, really, really care about your you know, this person that's telling you you're doing something wrong, I would suggest having a conversation with them and say, hey, I don't want this to hurt your feelings. I don't want you to take this personally. I'm not doing this to disobey you or to disrespect you, I'm doing this because this is my passion and here's my plan. And you can explain it to them. The problem is that this might turn into a fight because they know more than you do and so on and so forth. So there comes a point where you have to decide, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Um, one thing I do, uh, it's, it's, maybe I'll give you a kind of a, <laughs> I have another book coming out later called The Power of Starting Something Stupid. And in it, I tell the story of um, Jeff Bezos, who started Amazon, obviously. And he came to a point in his career on Wall Street in New York, where he decided he had this idea to sell books online. He went to his boss. And the boss said, hey, it's a good idea, but for someone else, not a good idea for you. You have a great job. And he asked himself, will I regret it when I'm 80? Will I regret it when I'm 80? And he decided that he would regret it when he's 80 left his job, got in the car with his wife, drove to Washington, and started Amazon.com and look what happened. And so that's why I tell my clients, I have uh, one friend and a client who started a skateboard company using that same principle. He uh, thought, hey, I want a skateboard company, but, geez, stupid, I mean, there's so many out there, but he decided he would regret not doing it when he's 80 and now it's turned into a great success. So I would say, ask yourself, will I regret it when I'm 80 and then have the courage to go forth and do it.
0: Love that. OK, so uh, we've talked about uh, TOMS and adding meaning to whatever you do that, that would make you replaceable. We've talked about replacing them with marketing. So those were steps four and five. Um, you have a step called lead your employer. And I'm not sure how this would work in a school setting. In fact, I can tell you quite candidly, I have some friends who've lost their jobs because they're thoughtful. Use of good teaching methodologies didn't match the existing school, but, <laughs> but I like the 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 concept, and um, and certainly recommend uh, those of you who are listening to to read that. Jack- yeah, Jackie saying me? No, it wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't thinking of you, Jackie. Um, oh, I, I meant to mention in the fifth step, you mention a word, and I'm, I'm not going to say it right, but sadaka, which is serving others in a way that helps them become self-reliant. That was my magic moment in the book. That's going to be my mantra. Uh, can you tell me how to say that and give a better description of it?
1: Sure, I can. Uh, Zedaka is it's a, it's a Hebrew word, and it's commonly translated in the English language as charity. And basically, uh, there's eight levels of, of charitable giving. And it's one Jewish leader. Uh, I have it here. I'll just read the definition real quick. It says the highest form of charity, this eighth level, is to help sustain a person before they become impoverished by offering a substantial gift in a dignified manner, or by extending a suitable loan, or by helping them find employment or establish themselves in business, so as to make it unnecessary for them to become dependent on others. And I think that's the greatest form of charity is seeing the challenges beforehand and then doing something about it early on. So Zodaka is a powerful term. So I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks.
0: Step seven was use the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and act. And and you say this is agility over raw power. For me, what really appealed to me about this was uh, it's often about what I can do now to get something out and get feedback and not waiting to plan past uh, reasonable time frames for goals. And it feels like the internet is largely about this. And it does mean that you accept failure, that you put something out there and people don't like it or use it. And we see this every day with Google or other Web 2.0 companies. Do you you want to describe OODA in any kind of a different way than that?
1: Sure. So, um, the, the OODA loop, it's something that was created by uh, USAF Colonel John Boyd, and it was a way for fighter jet pilots to know how to overcome their adversaries. They needed to observe what was going off them. Basically the idea was, whoever can observe and then orient, meaning you change, and then make a decision and then act, whoever can do that the fastest in a jet fighter, you know, fight, <laughs> wins. So that's the idea in business, in life, in your career, the, the person who can observe what's going on, orient themselves, decide what they're going to do and act the fastest, wins. And that's just that's just a matter of life and so we talk about how you can do that in a career.
0: Um, I love that. So before I give you a kind of a chance to wrap up and put it all together. There, there were three pieces here that I kind of believe in that weren't in your list, and I want to I mention them and, and get your sense of whether or not you would agree or disagree. So one for me is to involve the audience in the creation of anything that you do. I know you talk a lot about involving experts. Um, how do you respond to the idea that it also helps to really involve the audience to, to help be co-creators?
1: I think that's a really good point. If, if your audience um, is someone that's going to be using what you're going to do, I think it's a fantastic way to be able to make it work. I think that's what we find with all these internet companies doing when they have it in beta. They're trying to get some user some user feedback. But whether it's something like that or something bigger, like a project that involves some kind of social thing, why not get them involved? I think they'll be able to feel like, I talked earlier about having your heart in the learning. I think it gets your audience's heart as a part of it, so it's more natural to make it whatever you're putting
0: together, work for them when it's, when it's finished. I personally kind of vouch for that, and especially with the humility involved, that, um, that if you are actually helping a community accomplish something, there is value to that. Okay, my number two was to learn to work when you work best. Like there are certain times of the day when I'm most productive, and it felt to me like that has really helped me. How about you? <laughs>
1: I think that's that's a great way to do it. I mean, you, I, I've seen people hitting their their head against the wall because it's you know, whatever time of day, five o'clock in the afternoon, they're still trying to figure something out and they can't get anything done. I found that I can get more done in a two-hour period where I'm engaged and focused. And I can get in, in eight hours where I don't feel inspired. So I think you should definitely find a time. For me, it's probably uh, early in the morning or really late at night. Sometime when it's quiet and I'm not getting a million emails or, or whatever, that, those are the times I'm, I think I'm most creative and productive.
0: And my final contribution to your really lovely effort here is I think even without necessarily having a passion, it helps to start building a personal web presence just to start thinking about how you represent yourself online, even if there isn't a passion project. I hope I'm not stepping on your toes there, but that was my sort of third piece. Let's give you a chance to kind of tie this together. You give five kind of uh, things that you would recommend people do at at the sort of starting places beginning with choosing where you live. Do you want to go through those or give an overview of them?
1: Sure, yeah, I'd I'd love to do that. Thank you. So at the end of the book, I I put together kind of what I think as an an action plan of how you can start and start putting these these principles into action. The first thing, it's kind of bold, but I I say first, choose where you want to live. Because ultimately, where you live, that's the lifestyle you choose to have. And many people choose a job first and then allow their employer to dictate where they live. So they get a job, they follow their job somewhere in the world that they hate, and they hate their life that's just not okay. I mean, we do need to pay our bills, but that's just not okay. And so I I would recommend, again, it's it's not always possible for everyone and there are seasons and times in your life where, but ultimately, I would say, choose where you want to live and then make a living in that place because that's ultimately what your lifestyle is going to be like. Your day-to-day is your lifestyle, not just that vacation you get, you know, two weeks out of the year. So I'd say second, then choose work that gets you excited. It, It might not. Work that gets you excited might not always be work that you're good at, but it's a good place to start. So you want to identify what excites you and then go work at what excites you and you're good at. So that's what I would say. First, choose where you want to live. Second, choose work that gets you excited. Third, create a project. Start a project independent of anyone else. This is your project. You own it. This is your mark on the world. This is where you can put your footstep down, your your footprint in the sand uh, or in the cement or whatever, your your star in Hollywood. But do your project independent of anyone else that's aligned with your career path, the career path you want to pursue. And start a project that actually fulfills a need with the people or the organization you eventually want to work with. That's going to get you noticed. Then, like you were talking about involving the audience, you want to invite the influential people from the organizations you want to work with to help you with your project, if possible. And then you can develop these genuine lasting relationships with them and you all of a sudden created this little family. You may, again, you might not be getting paid yet, This is work for free, but you're kind of, you know how they say you have to dig a well before you can get the water? That's what you're doing here. You're, you're digging the well. So then you build a business model. Your a your, your business model simply is just a way to make money around a successful project. So if you want to work for a company, your business model is to do all these things I talked about so you can get a job with that organization. If you're already in business, your business model then is to earn them more trust from paying clients because of your project so that they'll pay you more or pay you again or get new clients. And then again, if you're self-employed, your business model is, is to get Maybe Let's say you haven't started a business yet, but maybe to get mentors that will help you be, as a result of your project to start up the company that you eventually want to do. So if you take those five things and you combine them with the seven ideas I talked about earlier, it's, it's a good way to get started. And I've seen it help a lot of people in amazing ways start businesses, get amazing jobs, and live happier lives. I've seen it firsthand, and uh, I, it's just been, it's been amazing to see how it's been working in the lives of others.
0: Though there was a comment in the chat that Jackie loved your passion, I have to agree. The quote for me of the book was, everyone deserves to live in a way that they can create money, meaning, and freedom to live life on your own terms no matter the circumstance. Uh, Richie, I really want to thank you for the book. And I want to thank you for coming on tonight.
1: You're you're so welcome. You've been so generous to have me on the show, and I really, really appreciate it. And Thanks all those uh, who've been listening. You guys are amazing. I hope we can connect somehow in the future. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it.
0: So we've been listening to Richie Norton on his book, Resumes Are Dead and What to Do About It. The book is available for free for a limited period of time, both in Kindle and PDF format. You can go to uh, my blog post or futureofeducation.com to find those links. Coming up next week, Larry Johnson talks to us about the Horizon Report, and Buffy Hamilton and Kristen fonti talk about school libraries. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thanks so much to Richie Norton. Take care everybody and have a great night.